there's a ton of stuff in this passage of scripture today and I was even as of yesterday flip-flopping like how do I how do I introduce this this passage of scripture that we're going to look at how do I introduce this sermon uh, because I want you to, to engage right from the beginning. That's what introductions do, right? You probably took a speech class once. Uh, and uh, so I guess this is how we'll start. Uh, sometimes, don't you wish, and just, just be honest, right? And uh, my dad's here, so don't tell him that I said this. But sometimes you have this thought, this wish, that, that you just like were born into another family. Not because you don't love your family, because you look and you're like, if I was a Hilton then, you know, life would have been so much easier, you know? Like, if I was a Kardashian, I could be famous and rich for not having done anything at all. It would be incredible. Uh, and, and sometimes you, you do, right? I think all of us go, if I would have just been born in a different circumstance, it's not my parents are great and I love them and they're awesome and all that, but if they, you know, would have worked a little harder and built the hotel industry, then life would have been just so much easier for me, and I would be, I know probably somewhere you think like, I would be a little better. You know, you probably wouldn't vocalize that, but you, you at least would be better off. But I think somewhere you think like, I would be better if I was just more privileged. That's the word I think we use. And I think there's something to that privileged idea that, that a lot of us, I think, really struggle with. And, and I only know this from movies where there's famous people, but I don't think it, it constitutes like whether you're famous or not, uh, or you know, poor or rich or whatever. I think all of us kind of struggle and, and we kind of think along the lines as life kind of moves along, like, I'm just not as privileged as other people. And I do think, this is just a guess, this is what I know from movies, like if you're a celebrity, then you think like, this is kind of hard and I got people taking my picture all the time. We make fun of that and say, well, if I had your life, it would be easier. But we all struggle with this idea and think like, I'm just not as privileged as other people. I'm not as privileged, you know, in my finances or people liking me or my looks or I'm not as privileged in just ease of life or who my parents were versus your parents or what I have to deal with and what you have to deal with or where I was born. We struggle and think like, if I just would have been born in different circumstances, then I would be better. And in this series, as we talk about our identities, I think this is something that we need to think about. And I think it's something that Paul is going to help, really he is going to help us deal with in the words that he writes in Ephesians chapter 3. Like, I just don't feel like because of my birthright and birth order and where I was born and who I was born to and you know how much money we have I just don't feel as good as I could if I was born somewhere else or to somebody else or whatever it might be and so I hope if you just stop and just one second just pause like think about those moments where you've thought that and I think what Paul's going to do is he's going to say kind of what he's been saying that if you're in Christ it changes everything about your identity but specifically what Paul's going to say is that if you're in Christ you go from unprivileged or underprivileged to being one of the privileged 
wants. And, and there's, there is, like I said already, there is so much in this passage. I mean, he is going to use these three words that we'll get to in a second. These three words for what we can be in Christ, what we are in Christ, our new identities in Christ, that just like say so much about the privilege that we come into, not because of where we were born, not because of who we were born to, but simply because of the favor and the grace and the mercy of Jesus that allows us, if we become Christians and accept his gift, to come into him and find a new identity. And here's how Paul begins in Ephesians 3.1. He says this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. It's not really about our identities. It's kind of about Paul's identity. But he says this reason, and it points back to the last chapter, specifically verses 11 and 12. And there he said, therefore, remember that formerly you were the Gentiles, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Paul says, I am in prison for one reason. I want Gentile people to know that in Christ they can be privileged like the Jewish people. You say, well... First of all, how does that get you thrown in prison? Well, it made everybody mad. I mean, everybody really was mad at Paul all the time, it seems like, except for Christian people. But the rest of the world, and Christians were not in a majority then. It wasn't like we think in America today. Like Everybody's mad at the guy because Jews, all they hear Paul saying is other people can be a part of our religion and take our promises and have our hopes. But these have been unique to us, and we were the privileged people. And now Paul's saying we're not privileged any more than a Gentile who has accepted Christ. So that made him mad. And then you, you think about the Roman people and the, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people that Paul was around. All they hear Paul saying is like, you need to follow a single God to be privileged. And you Roman people who were privileged, right? I mean, that was like the nation at that point. And they looked at everybody else in the world and thought like, you're not Roman, uh, and you're not like me. You're not one of us. They thought a lot like I think we think as Americans sometimes. We're, we're kind of better than everybody else. And, excuse me. All, all they can hear Paul saying is, well, your privilege is not that important. The real privilege that matters is the privilege of being in Christ. Can you imagine, like, just somebody coming up to you and going, look, here's the deal. I know you think that you're awesome. And that, you know, you were born into high society and all that. But you really don't have much unless you're in Christ. I mean, that'd be something. I, I think if Paul met one of the Kardashians, he'd look at him right in the eye. And he'd say, I mean, that'd be a great episode, wouldn't it? Christians would latch on to that one. It'd be like one of our great moments. And we would talk about it like they were the Duggars or something. Uh, and, and, and so Paul would just look at a Kardashian in the eye and be like, Hey, by the way, you're not really that privileged. What you need to do to have privilege in this life is get in Christ. You're broken, you're poor, you're not rich, you're not really that cool, you're not what you could be if you were in Christ. Now think about that. Kim was here, she wouldn't like that at all. She'd say, well, look at my Instagram feed. And the reality is this is what the Romans are thinking. Like you're telling me, Roman citizen, born this way, how can you tell me that that's not as important as this thing where you're in Christ. And so Paul ends up in jail multiple times because, because everybody's upset with him. And all he wants to do is look at Gentiles 
which most of us are, non-Jewish people, and say, look, the Jews have been the privileged nation, the privileged race, and now you have an opportunity to be grafted into them. You have an opportunity to have these wonderful things in Christ. And here's how he continues. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ. Paul says it is his administration or his job, his management position to tell non-Jewish people that they can now have access to God, that they can now have the benefits of a relationship with God. And he says, and this is important, not something we think about, that this is a mystery that is now being made known. And the thing is, that's hard for us to, to grasp, to think about, to it's like we would need a time machine even to really grasp the importance of what Paul's saying. But, but Paul is saying, look, for thousands of years, as the scriptures have been written, people have not fully understood that eventually non-Jewish people would be able to become part of the faith that is the Jewish religion. They would be able to be Yahweh servers. That's the name of the God that we serve. They would be able to follow the God of the Jews. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see language, a lot of language, that says someday Gentiles will be able to come into a full relationship with God. But really, what the Jews thought and what the Jews did is, hey, you can kind of become a Jew. They actually had baptisms, dunk a guy in water, so that they could be kind of cleansed of their old non-Jewishness, and then they can become Jews, and then they can serve God. And so the Jews had an idea and understanding that people could serve their God if they became one of them. But Paul's like, now something new has been revealed. You as a non-Jew in your own, in your own non-Jewishness can serve the living God, the creator of all, the sustainer of the universe. And we sit here today, and this is just, it's really hard to grasp because we look and we go, as a, as a, as a nation that has tons of Christian roots, we go, well, Gentiles are the Christians and Jews are the Jews. You know, I mean, they're just Jews and we're the Christians. But when Paul's talking, and what he is actually saying, is this is like brand new. That we, if you're not Jewish, that we can have access to God like a Jewish person. That we can have a relationship with God that makes us important and special. And, and that we can have a relationship with God that gives us a new identity and shows us our value and our worth. And, and brings us back to the place that we've talked about in this series. Where, where we have our identities wrapped up in God and not what this world has told us. Not the things that we have bought into, the lies that we have bought into, our identity idols as we, as we have called them in other passages. So just stop one second, just time machine with me, go back in time and just think like, do you guys know this is the Back to the Future year? Sorry, side note, this is the year that he goes to in Back to the Future 2, we're in it, I'm going to watch it, it's like October 21st, I'll be watching Back to the Future if you want to watch with me. So get in your time machines uh, and, and just, just think like, if you're a Gentile, if you're a Jew, this doesn't apply, if you're a Gentile, like, I couldn't, without becoming something totally else, have access to God. Like you think like right now I can pray to God? You couldn't have. You couldn't have prayed to God. 
It would have been like praying and the, your prayers going up into the air, which sometimes you probably feel that way. But now we know that like God allows you to be heard and, and, and now has this new relationship with you. Sometimes you probably have said, even if you're not a Christian, like, well, God takes care of me, you know, and I have a relationship with God. That's not even something that you would have ever thought or, or that you could have ever have had or, or an idea of wouldn't have been in your brain before Jesus came and Paul started to reveal this mystery to us. And he says, and this is the crazy part, the awesome part, that we have three major benefits that we never could have had. And they're all about our identity and they're all about privilege that all of us can take hold of if we choose to be in Christ. He first says that we are heirs. We say, I am an heir. He says that we have, this is so big, this is so huge, an inheritance in Christ that we could not have had apart from Christ. In Romans 8, 17, it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And then in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, check this out, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And you go, you probably just were like, wait, it said I'm weaker if you're a woman, right? Like, let's not focus on that. I'm going to teach on First Peter next year, uh, and we'll cover that topic. It's something I, I've covered before, and I like covering even. But I want you to see that last part, so let me read it again. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. He's writing to husbands, Christian husbands, and saying, hey, I want your identity to be so wrapped up in Jesus that when you look at your wife, you don't just look at, you know, some person that you fell in love with once and you married. You don't just look at them and say, like, oh, this person that makes me mad and if they did this better and all that. He says, no, no, no. When you look at your spouse, what you ought to see is somebody who also shares in the inheritance of God with you. Man, think about, just think about the idea of inheritance. It means two kind of huge, big, grand Things. It means first that, that somebody has placed an extreme amount of value on us. I mean, somebody is looking at us and saying, I want you to have what I have someday. I want you to get all of the riches that I currently possess. I actually got a call this week. I'll keep the person nameless. And they said, I need your social security number. Uh, somebody I know. I need your social security number because I'm putting you down. Uh, as, as one of my beneficiaries. What does that say about what that person thinks about me? It says that they value me. You don't just go, I'm going to give my inheritance to that guy. You know, I mean, that doesn't happen. You, you, you go, I know this person. I love this person. I want this person to receive the stuff that I have someday. And, and, and here Paul's saying, look, in Christ, those of us who were once unprivileged now are privileged in part because we now can feel the full effect of the value that God has placed upon us because he wants to lavish us with his blessings and his gifts someday. I mean, heaven seems like this, this kind of far away idea that we, that we don't think about. And this is the other part of this, by the way, is that we'll have this rich, these riches 
And we have some of these riches now, like I have peace and joy and love and acceptance and, and, and some other things that, that I'm telling you you'll never have apart from Jesus, that you'll never have if you're not in Christ. It just won't happen for you. I, I deal with things that are hurtful and painful and, and hard in a better way than you do because I have a relationship with Jesus. It's not because I'm cool or anything like that. It's because I have some of these blessings already. But someday we're going to have the blessings magnified for us. And we're going to be in a place called heaven, which is going to be great. Now, I talk about this a lot because we have this bad view of heaven, I think, in our heads where we'll float on a cloud and we will play a harp and we'll be bored. That's right. I mean, that's kind of it. Uh, and we think, we just, I talked about this after a sermon a few weeks ago, we think like streets of gold. And, and for me, if you're like me, I'm like, I don't really even like gold. I don't think it's the most beautiful substance on earth. I, I like silver better. I like white gold. If you offered me silver or gold, I'd take the gold, but uh, just for financial purposes. But, but, but the point that the Bible is trying to make when it gives us this metaphorical language is not, this is exact details, this is the floor plan of heaven, is to say heaven is going to be full of riches beyond what you can imagine, and you are going to love it. And you go, well, I don't feel privileged, and if I would have been born and I would have, you know, had a hotel chain and all that, then I could have riches. And what Paul is looking at you and saying is, look, here's the deal. If you will place yourself in Christ, if you will become a Christian, if you accept that Jesus died and rose again according to Scripture so that your sins could be forgiven, then you are rich now. You may not be able to grasp all of your possessions because some are sitting in your trust fund, a place called heaven, but you can have it all right now, glorious riches. Isn't that cool? I mean, Paul looks at this group of people who are underprivileged as Gentiles and says, now you are heirs in Christ. You are co-heirs with the Jews because you have been brought into this relationship. I saw, I Googled air uh, in preparation for this sermon, and, uh, and then I clicked the news button on Google because I just want to see what the airs out there were doing, you know, see what was happening. I'm not one. Uh, and uh, a place called Mizor, their new king said, uh, I, I like this, um, if he hadn't been chosen as the royal heir, he would have been a consultant, as he finds it interesting and challenging. Isn't that, it, I'm sorry, that was just thrown in here because I find that so funny. And I guarantee that every consultant who ever, has ever read that has thought like, yeah, well, if I wasn't a consultant, I'd be a king, you know? I mean, that just sounds way easier to me. Uh, but how about this? I saw another heir. He bought an Apple Watch for his dog. Isn't that? And you'd think like, oh, if I was privileged enough. Uh, and then there's this new term out there that, that is spare to the air. Have you heard this term? Uh, and it's basically, this is so horrible, uh, but I don't feel bad for him. But it, it's a term for like Harry, uh, Prince Harry or Charlotte now is the new uh, spare to the air because they're not actually the air. They're just like the spare to the air. They're like this you know, born a little too late person. That's all they are. And, and I, I share those because it, it, I do think it shows. I think they're funny because it's so outside of my realm of thinking uh, to buy an Apple Watch for my dog. But uh, if anybody's going to get one for their dog, it would be me. I understand the heart. Um, I do love him. Uh, but it's like we kind of laugh and we go, that's absurd. I mean, that is absurd. But think of this, someday if you are in Christ, you will live in a place where that will be your type of thinking. 
that will be so rich that you can have an Apple Watch and give one to your dog. And you go, well, metaphorical. No, I think it's going to be awesome. I think we're going to have things that we never could have imagined having if we are in Christ. And then he says this, this other thing, Paul. He, he says that, that we are members together with Israel. Will you say, I am a member? Ephesians 4.4 4 says that there is one body. And the translation here in our passage, Ephesians 3, is actually one body. We have become one body. And that's how the church is described. And what Paul is saying, that both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, are all one in Christ. We have become members of something that is very valuable and very important. To make an uncircumcised Gentile Christian part of the same covenant as as a Jewish person when this was written would have sounded like absolute heresy, would have sounded like fallacy, would have sounded like lies and something that should be rejected and something that could have got you stoned. And Paul, I mean, Paul is saying like, hey, you Jew, you're very privileged, uh, but now I want you to know that everybody else can just be part of you and you're one together with them. And this is why, in part, Paul is in prison. Because he is saying this. Oh, you go, okay, no big deal, right? I mean, who cares? I become one with the Jews and I become part of this body that is Jesus, this one body, uh, the church. That, that's a cool thing. And, and, and maybe some of you, I'll point this out up front, have, have been a part of a church where there's no unity and you go, well, I, you know, I've, I've done the church thing and I never really felt like I was a part of anything. And in fact, it seemed worse than work or with my family because those people were always mad at each other. And let's just get that out there now. But what Paul is saying, I think, beyond kind of where it all gets messed up or forgotten is something that is... I think, about as valuable as anything that we could ever imagine in the gospel. We all, every one of us, has a desire to belong. Don't you? I mean, don't you just have a desire to know that you're loved and you're accepted and that people care about you and that people will be there for you? Don't you have that somewhere inside of you? And, and, and even and what happens, I think, is that people just, I can see it. I know people, they turn to like these different worlds, these different groups to try to find love and belonging. And I mean, gangs. Gangs don't exist because other people people like to shoot people or because people like to do crime gangs exist because people want to belong to something and somebody's looking at these kids and saying hey you can belong to us and we'll be there for you and we'll care about you and I know so many girls that stay in stupid relationships where that are unhealthy and broken and idiotic and and you look at them and, and you're like you ask why and it's because they want to belong they want to feel loved and this guy is is saying that he loves them and and showing them that that'll be there in some kind of stupid way and and I think about like all the groups that kind of sprout up that people long to find community and right here in Villabois what you discover is that everybody is just trying to have community and looking for community. And there's, this is a great community, in fact. But Paul says something really profound here, even if you're on the spectrum, the side of the spectrum that, that is Villa Bois right here with our French neighborhood and connecting through wine tasting and yoga. Or if you're over here and you're finding belonging, <laughs> you laugh if you're part of Villa Bois, uh, and finding your belonging and shooting people and causing problems and selling drugs. Uh, Paul says we have something better because in Christ we are so united and so connected. 
And we have found our belonging in such a powerful and unique way that we can be considered one body. And you are as important to that body as a hand is to a physical body. Now, it gets messed up. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend it doesn't get messed up. I've gone into churches that I'm like, ooh, this is bad. In the history of our church, I mean, you, we can, some of us who have been around for a while, I mean, there were times when it's like, these people don't even know each other. Like, and, and it's like, it's not that big a church, you know? You should at least say hi. Uh, but when this is lived out and you see it, which I think is happening in our church right now, when you have young and old and rich and poor and everybody on every side of the spectrum caring about each other and being there for each other and loving each other and actually investing in each other's lives and knowing that, that when I have a problem, I can reach out to other people and they're not going to reject me or push me aside, then you see something that every person in the world is longing for and trying to find in places that they're never going to find it like they could find it in the organization that is the church by being in Christ. You see, when we, and this is so key, and this is important as we move forward as a church and something that we've developed into our language and something that you need to think about as a Christian, when you are a part of a church in a way that suggests disunity, like if you just show up on a Sunday and that's it, that's your whole church involvement, then when the, the world looks at a church, they don't see what they ought to see. But when you are in a church and you care about people and you pray about people and you're there for people, then the world goes, oh, that's what I want. That's what I want. Man, I just, just for me, and I think we all share this, I love knowing that in this congregation and the church as a whole, I would hope, I would hope I could go to a church 100,000 miles from here and show up and say, I have a problem. And they'd say, oh, you're one of us. We'll do something for you. But at least in this church, I love knowing that I belong. And I know, I know, and this is so beautiful to me, that if all of my family went away and all of my friends went away, and I came to a place where it seemed like I was alone, I wouldn't be alone because of what I have in this congregation specifically and what I have in Christ by being brought into the body. I hope, I hope that you're a person who's finding your belonging in Christ, in the church, because you're never going to find it, you're never going to find it in the way that you want it anywhere else. You can find bits and pieces of it, and you can see great examples of it. I'm not against clubs, and I'm not against wine tastings, and I'm not against, uh, I'm, I'm against gangs. Uh, but I'm not against, uh, I'm not against these other things that exist to fulfill this need in people's lives. I think they're great, and I think we should be a part of those things as Christians and all that. But it's never going to be like it can be in church. Because in Christ, we've become one body. It's deeper, it's more profound. We can connect on spiritual levels that other people cannot connect. And so two things, just two points of application. First, if you're looking for belonging and you're like, I, if you ever said, I just feel so alone, then you haven't been a part of the right church and you haven't invested in church probably in the way that you should have. And also, here's the other point of, of application on this is that if you're a part of our church, then really be a part of our church. Let everybody else know that they belong. Show people that they belong. Take care of people. Be there for people. Pray for people. Be a part of the body. Don't just show up with the body every now and again.
And the last thing that Paul says is huge as well. He says, you are shares. Will you say, I am a share? In one papyrus, uh, one document, old document, it is used for the joint possessor of a house. Being a sharer means that we have tons of blessings. And I already mentioned them. Not only do we have an inheritance to look forward to someday, but right now, in this moment, if you are in Christ, then you have things. And we forget about these a lot. We have things that other people just simply cannot have the way that we have them. And sometimes we forget these and we make Christianity all about following a rule. You know, it's like, what does being a Christian mean? Well, it means that I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Got that part. We know that part. And then if you were being honest, you don't like to say these things because you don't want to look like a legalist. But if you're being honest, you say, and it means that, you know, I don't drink as much as other people and I, you know, don't lie and I don't cuss as much as my coworkers and things like that. And, and, and maybe those are true. But Paul is looking at us and going, wait, wait, wait. Being a Christian means, yeah, you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again according to scripture so that you could be saved and all of that. But now... It means that you have an inheritance and it means that you are a member and you are a share in some of these wonderful promises that were made to the Jewish people and have been in existence for thousands of years. I mean, you have the promise that God will never leave nor forsake you. That's a big deal. You do a lot of stupid stuff. And if I were God, thankfully I'm not, I'd be like done with these people, next guy up, you know. But God will never leave you. You have this promise. I love this promise out of Romans 8 that everything you go through is going to be worked out for your good. That is not a promise that you have apart from Christ. That is a promise that you have only in Christ. And so you can know that no matter how bad your day gets or how bad your week gets or how bad your year gets, that if you're in Christ, there's a God in heaven who is working, who is working to make that thing, those things work out for your best in the end. That's huge. You have the promise of knowing that when you die, you get eternal life. We kind of talk about that one a lot and we know that, but that's kind of a big deal. Someday you're going to face death. And in those moments, as you face death, you don't have to go, where do I go? Because you have the promise of an eternal kingdom in heaven that you will be able to live in forever. And some of you, you go, well, how can I, you know, I, I have so much stuff and it's all hard and it's all bad and I don't know if I'm going to be able to be sustained. I don't even know if my life is sustainable the way it's going. And God has promised that if you're in him, if you're in Christ, then he's going to sustain you. He's going to provide for you. Want to know where your food is coming from? Maybe you put up a financial prayer request. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. If you're in Christ, then you have the promise of sustenance and life. It's a big deal. And we don't think about these things. Maybe because we've always been, uh, lived in a time period where Jews could be connected to God. I mean, Gentiles could be connected to God in the same way that they have for a couple thousand years to go. Maybe it's just because we don't talk about it enough and we just think, Christian, one moment, and then I get to go to heaven someday and all the rest in between is just about following rules. I don't know the reason. But in Christ, we have promises now. And man, here's the thing, I, and you go, a lot of people, this happens all the time, I should read the Bible more. Something people always say if you're a Christian. You should want to read the Bible more. There's a whole bunch of promises in there that you get to cling to that other people don't get to cling to. If your identity is in Christ, you should go, oh, I should pick up the Bible. Psalm 94, 18 and 19, one of my, my big verses in my life is a promise that I have always held to no matter what I go through. It says, when I feel my foot slipping, your faithfulness, O Lord, supports me. When I am filled with cares, your reassurance soothes my soul forever. 
And sometimes I, feel, I have felt like I am falling and my life is going to crash and I've just gone, my hands are up in the air, I might be going down, but the promise is that I won't crash, that I will be held up and eventually reassurance will soothe my soul. That is part of being a share in the things of the Jews, the things of Christ. Paul continues in verses 7 through 9. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. I love how Paul identifies himself in the way that Jesus would identify himself. He sees his responsibility and service as a gift of God. That's something you could pay attention to. A lot of people go, I should serve the church. I need to serve the church. Or there's a lot of people who never think about serving in a church and never do anything at all. Uh, and, and Paul looks at his responsibilities, which weren't that great on a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, I mean, I, I put it down at a 2, like getting stoned and going to jail all the time. Not that fun of a job to be given by God. And he says, it's God's grace that has given me this responsibility. And he says that it's to make known the boundless, notice this, the boundless riches of Christ. It could also be translated the unfathomable riches of Christ. Our riches in Jesus are so lavish, so amazing, so big, so grand that they're unfathomable to us. We've talked about some, and we can cling to those promises, and we can hope in those promises, but Paul says that what we have in Jesus is even beyond, beyond what we can possibly imagine. And he says, and I love this, that these have been the administration, this is the administration of the mystery, and it's not the same word he uses for administration earlier, it's a weird translation flaw in the NIV uh, but it's a different word, and it's the word that we usually, in church circles, uh, we usually talk about fellowship. It's one of those words I try not to use too much because it has no meaning anymore because we just say fellowship and we mean eat. Uh, that's what we mean in the church, but fellowship has, that uh, we do, right? Uh, let's do some fellowshipping, and we never talk about Jesus at all, uh, but, but here's what it actually means. It means the act of partaking, sharing, or participation, and so Paul, one more time, says, here's, here's how you get it. Here's how you become an heir, and here's how you become a member, and here's how you become a share. You participate in this thing called Christianity. You get wrapped up in this thing called Christianity. You become a part of Jesus. He finishes, and I want to read these last verses, and I, I actually blogged about it this week, and we haven't sent that email out yet, but you can read what my thoughts on the, these verses, but the book of Ephesians is just ripe with language about the church and what the church is, and, and I'm only going to read it because it just it subtly tells you and reminds you about your identity, but you can read my words on, on our website uh, later today or this week. Uh, he says this, his intent was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Paul says, if you are part of the church, then your job is to make known the mystery that used to be hidden, the grace of God to the heavenly realms, 
There's a few ideas about what the heavenly realms mean there. It can mean uh, the good angels. It can mean the bad angels. It, it could mean uh, the human institutions like the political powers and all that, or it could be a combination of the three. And when you see that in theological circles, if you're reading a commentary or anything about the Bible, and they say like it could be all three, that means nobody really knows. Uh, and so what I think it means is the spiritual realm that Paul describes throughout the book of Ephesians a spiritual realm that we cannot see where both good and bad exist and fight and, and work and do their own thing. And you can see this, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says, the power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And then Ephesians 2, 2, uh, Paul refers to Satan as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And then Ephesians 6, 12, Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so there exists a spiritual realm that we cannot see. And Paul says that if you're in Christ, this is huge, then your job now, your job as somebody who is privileged, who is an heir and a member and a share, is to declare to the spiritual forces that God is gracious and that God has saved you from sin and death. What? That's huge. I mean, think about the way that you live your life if you're a Christian. You just kind of live trying to get by. I mean, I know so many Christians that are just kind of trying to get by. It's keeping their head above water. And Paul says, oh, by the way, here's what you are. This is your new identity. This is what you should have as your identity in Christ. You should be an heir and a member and a share. And because of that, because you're now a privileged person, you have a job. And that's through your life to show the dark forces and the good forces that exist in some realm that we cannot see that God is gracious and compassionate and has done an incredible work by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us. That's different. That's different than I should read the Bible more. That's a bigger life. And don't we, I just, I just kind of think about this and I think we look at privileged people and we think they should be doing so much more good than they're doing. Don't we? If I had that money, if I had those benefits, if I had been born into that family, I could do so much. And Paul says, hmm, in Christ, you have been born into that family, and you are an heir, and you are rich, and you are a part of something that is beyond you, and so therefore, you ought to be doing something more than you are currently doing. That's huge. It has huge implications for how you live your life as a Christian if you're a Christian, because you are the privileged person now, and it is your job to make known to everybody, people and spiritual realm, what God has done. Paul finishes, I ask you, therefore, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Paul says, I don't care about my suffering because it's all about you. And here's it. I just, let me reiterate. Let me, let me just say it again. Through the gospel, we are heirs, members, and sharers in the promise, the promises that bring unfathomable riches to our lives. And because of that, we ought to declare, declare the graciousness and the mercy of God. I just want to give you this one simple statement. As you think about your identity, there's so many ways that you can find your identity. We've talked about this. You can find them in your items. You can find them in the duties that you have. You can find your identity in what others say about you. You can find your identity in the longings of your heart. You can find your identity in the sufferings that you have suffered. But what Paul is saying, look, 
the best place to find your identity is in Christ. And he's given us so many benefits already, but let me just in one sentence. In Christ, I am an heir and a share. Sounds fun to say that. In Christ, I am an heir and a share, so that I may declare the glorious riches of God's grace to the heavenly realms. Will you pray with me? Lord, what a beautiful passage of Scripture that you have given us. I mean, incredible, God, that you would think of us in this way, that you would that you would talk about us in this way. And I look at my own life, God, think about the things that I've done. And for you to even to allow me into this membership that gives me the, the, the inheritance to look forward to and the current promises now is, is incredible, Lord. And so I say thank you. And, and here's, God, for me, uh, the thing that, that is difficult, I look out And I think about people even who aren't here this morning that should be here this morning, God. And I look at our culture and even people who who declare themselves as Christians. And what I find is that people are not clinging to these identities, Lord. I think Christians currently in our society, as I look at media and as I have conversations, think of themselves as as the downtrodden, the kick to the curb, as the, the... defenseless ones who, who, who just are struggling, fighting an uphill battle, God, but, but we're the ones who are privileged. Not because we are inherently better than anybody else. Not because we have done anything, as we talked about last week, to deserve to be the privileged ones. Not because of who we were born to, but because of what you have done in us by bringing us into relationship with you. And by what you have done through the cross where you annihilated sin and death for those who would believe in you. And I hate God knowing that there are girls who are not here that should be here because they're wrapped up in a relationship where they're looking for belonging and they're looking to feel more privileged. And there are people, God, who who are buying into the lies that Satan would tell them and they feel down about themselves and so they don't do the things they ought to do or cling to the hope that they ought to cling to. And I'm sure people sitting in front of me right now, God, struggle and they wake up thinking, am I worth anything? Do I have any value? Do I matter? Even though they have already come into a relationship with you and become heirs and sharers in you, Jesus. And I, I pray, God, as we seek to declare your glorious riches in the heavenly realms, I pray that you would break the bonds of those evil forces that are tying down people that I know and I love and I care about and others who I don't even know at all and, and causing them to find these false, gross, hurtful identities apart from you even though they're in you. God, do a work. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Maybe people who God will hear this sermon online. I pray for them. They they don't have hope. They have identities that are caught up in sin and, and that are all about what they can do better or what they've been doing or how they do or what they look like or who they're friends with and they're missing out. And I pray that you would bring people to salvation through my words. 
and through your book, God, and what Paul wrote down by your Holy Spirit a couple thousand years ago. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name.